It's showtime, folks! This is the American Variety Network on Blog Talk Radio with Alex Cardinale. Live from Springfield, Massachusetts. Happy Thanksgiving 2015 to our listeners of the American Variety Network. Enjoy your turkey and get ready for some Christmas shopping right after your meal. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the American Tragedy Hour here live on In Your Face Talk Show here exclusively on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, yours truly, Alex Cardinelli. You know, on our previous American Tragedy Hours, I focused on tragedies that have happened within the last 10 years, such as Hurricane Katrina, the Sandy Hook school shooting, and some other recent tragedies. But tonight, for the first time ever, I am going to be talking about a tragedy that took place way before I was even born. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to talk about a tragedy that happened 31 years ago. That's right, 31 years ago. But this tragedy is still regarded as one of the worst tragedies in American history. For all of my older listeners, you may know and remember this tragedy very well. But if you are a young person like me, this may be the first time you're going to hear about this tragedy. And I want you guys to learn a lot from this terrible, terrible tragedy. Tonight, the tragedy I am going to talk about is the 1984 McDonald's shooting in San Yesidero, California. Now, this tragedy happened on July 18th, 1984. This tragedy is known as the McDonald's Massacre of 1984. Now, the killer, James Haberti, shot and killed 21 people and injured 19 others before being shot and killed by the SWAT team. Now, the sad thing about this tragedy, at least in my opinion, is that this shooting took place in a very small and poor city in California. A lot of these people were having financial issues. Money was tight, and there were probably many issues getting money. Alright? So... It really was sad. Um, I think it is terrible that these people who are poor had to suffer on the evening of July 18th, 1984, because their life is already stressful. Now, let's not forget, most of these people probably did not have any, any insurance 
or if they did have insurance, it was not good. Because remember, these people were poor in San Ysidro, California. Now, I think the fact alone that this happened in one of the poorest cities in California just adds so more, so much more sadness to this case. I mean, these people probably had McDonald's as a treat on July 18th, 1984, and they were in for the shock of their life. Now, this shooting was triggered by mental illness from James Verdi, and we are going to talk in depth about that, and I will share my full opinion of the mental illness that caused this shooting. Now, you're going to find out about the killer and then the awful tragedy as well. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have any questions or comments about this tragedy, please feel free to call in at 1-347-989-8142. That again is 1-347-989-8142. All right, ladies and gentlemen, buckle up, because coming up next, we're going to start talking about this god-awful tragedy that happened 31 years ago. We're going to talk about the McDonald's Massacre right after this.
You're tuned in live to the American Variety Network here, live on Blog Talk Radio. With a name like American Variety, you can expect a wide variety of topics. Now, let's get live here on the AV Network. Hi, Jeremy Stillhorn. I'm tuned into the American Variety Network, where I find the show is very educational and entertaining. Are you bold enough to call in and interact with tonight's topic? Well, prove it by calling in live at 1-347-989-8142 to ask questions about tonight's topic or share your thoughts on tonight's topic. Just pick up your phone and dial 1-347-989-8142 and go into a quiet location. Again, that's 1-347-989-8142. Now let's get on with the show. Are you ready for a talk show that is brave enough to talk about anything and everything, even if it's controversial? Are you ready for a talk show where anything goes and we will say anything that we want? Well, then you're listening to the right talk show. You are tuned in to In Your Face Talk Show. With your host, the crazy Italian-American AC. You can expect to hear the unexpected. Laugh at what is said, or you may scream. In your case, sit back and enjoy the show. Let's get in your face with this great talk show. Alright, ladies and gentlemen, let's find out about the McDonald's Massacre of 1984. First, we're going to start learning about the actual shooter, the criminal. So, about the shooter. James Haberti was born on October 11th, 1942. Now, James Haberti was a self-proclaimed survivalist. Now, he saw signs of what he thought was growing trouble in America And he believed that government regulations were the cause of business failures, including his very own. He believed that international bankers were purposefully manipulating the Federal Reserve System and bankrupting the nation. Now, he was convinced that the Soviet aggression was everywhere, He believed that the breakdown of society was near, perhaps through economic collapse or nuclear war. Now, he committed himself to prepare to survive this coming collapse, and while in Canton, he provisioned his house with thousands of dollars of non-perishable food items and six guns that he intended to use to defend his home during what he believed was the coming chaos. Later on, year later, he used those six guns, not for a very good reason to say the least. When he moved from Ohio, he left the food behind, but brought the guns with him. Now, James Haberti had an uncontrollable twitch in his right arm 
as a result of a motorcycle accident, a condition that made it impossible to continue as a welder. Now, the Haberti family left Canton in January of 1984 and briefly stayed in Tijuana, Mexico. Then they returned to the United States of America and settled in San Diego's San Ysidro neighborhood. Hoberti was able to find work as a security guard. He was dismissed from this position two weeks before the shooting. Now, his apartment was three blocks away from the site of the massacre. All right. Now, let's talk about James Haberti prior to the shooting. This is really important. I want you to listen to this. On July 15, 1984, three days before the shooting, Haberti commented to his wife, Etna, that he suspected he may have a mental problem. Two days later... On July 17th, he called a mental health clinic requesting an appointment. Leaving his contact details with the receptionist, he was assured the clinic would return his call within hours. According to his wife, he sat quietly beside the telephone for several hours awaiting a return call from the mental health clinic before abruptly walking out of the family house and riding to an unknown destination on his motorcycle. Unbeknownst to Haberti, the receptionist had misspelled his name as Showberti. Furthermore, his polite demeanor conveyed no sense of immediate urgency to the operator. Therefore, the call was logged as a non-crisis inquiry to be handled within 48 hours. Now, I think this is where uh, Mr. Herberti became more psychological and more ill as far as his mental health is concerned. He felt that the world was turning on him. Now, I don't care if uh, a mental patient is calling someone on the phone. He's calling out for help. I don't care how his voice sounds or how his polite demeanor is. If you're calling for help, then you need help. I think this could have been prevented if the receptionist made sure that someone returned this call. But we'll talk about that a little bit later on on the show. Approximately one hour later, Herberti returned home in a contented mood. After eating dinner, he, his wife, and her two daughters, aged 12 and 10 at the time, cycled to a nearby park. Later that evening, he and Etna watched a film together. The following morning, the day of the crime, Wednesday, July 18th, Haberti took his wife and daughters to the San Diego Zoo. In the course of the walk, he told his wife his life was effectively over. Referring to the mental health clinic failure to return his phone call, the previous day, he said, well, society had their chance. After eating lunch at a McDonald's restaurant in the Claremont neighborhood of San Diego, the Hibertis then returned home. Shortly thereafter, 
He walked into his bedroom as his wife lay lay relaxing upon the bed. He leaned towards her and said, I want to kiss you goodbye. Edna asked him where he was going, to which he replied, he was going hunting humans. Carrying a bundle wrapped inside a checkered blanket, Haberti looked toward his elder daughter, Zelia, as he walked toward the front door of the family home and said, Goodbye, I will not be back. He then proceeded to drive down San Ysidro Boulevard. According to eyewitnesses, he first drove toward the Big Bear supermarket and then the U.S. Post Office before entering the parking lot of a McDonald's restaurant located approximately 200 yards from his apartment. Wow, I'm speechless. This tragedy could have been prevented if he got the mental help he needed. Not sure why they ignored it, but you will talk about that exactly later on on the show. Now, let's talk about the tragedy. So, after he told his wife he was going hunting for humans, he left his house and went to the McDonald's in San Yesidero. The date of the tragedy was July 18, 1984. The tragedy took place 3.59 p.m. to 5.17 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. The attack type was a mass shooting, a mass murder. The weapons he used was a 9mm Browning HP semi-automatic pistol, an Uzi 9mm semi-automatic carbon, and a Winchester 1200 pump-action shotgun. There was 22 deaths, including the perpetrator. There was 19 injuries. And, of course, the perpetrator was James Saperti. So... At approximately 3.56 p.m. on July 18, 1984, James Saperti drove his car into the parking lot of the McDonald's restaurant on San Ysidro Boulevard. As I said a few minutes ago, in his possession were a 9mm Browning semi-automatic pistol, a 9mm Uzi carbine, a Winchester 12-gauge, 12-gauge pump-action shotgun, and a cloth bag filled with hundreds of rounds of ammunition for each weapon. A total of 45 customers were present inside the restaurant. Now, entering the restaurant minutes later, Haberti first aimed his shotgun at a 16-year-old employee named John Arnold. As he did so, the assistant manager, Glamario Flores, shouted, Hey, John, that guy's going to shoot you. According to Arnold, when Haberti pulled the trigger, nothing happened. As Haberti inspected his gun, the manager of the restaurant, 22-year-old Neva Kane, walked toward the service counter of the restaurant in the direction of Arnold. As Arnold, believing the incident to be a distasteful joke, began to walk away from the gunman. Haberti fired a shotgun toward the ceiling, then aimed the Uzi at Neva Kane, shooting her once beneath her left eye. Kane died minutes later. Immediately after shooting Kane, 
a birdie fired a shotgun at John Arnold, wounding the youth in his torso, before shouting a comment to the effect of, everybody on the ground. Haberti then referred to all present in the restaurant as dirty swines before shouting that he, had, that he had killed thousands and that he intended to kill thousands more. Upon hearing Haberti's expletive ridden rant and seeing Nava Kane and John Arnold shot, one customer, 25-year-old Victor Rivera, tried to persuade Haberti not to shoot anymore. In response, Haberti shot Rivera 14 times, report, reportedly shouting, Shut up! as Rivera screamed in pain. As most of the customers tried to hide beneath tables and service booths, Haberti turned his attention toward six women and children who had began walking from the service counter of the restaurant toward the dining area and had huddled together when he began shooting. He first shot and killed 18-year-old Maria Comineria Silvia with a single gunshot to the chest. He then fatally shot 9-year-old Fudita Perez in the cheek, stomach, chest, thigh, hip, arm, pit, and head with his Uzi and wounded her 15-year-old sister and an 11-year-old named Aruria Pena with the same weapon. Pena, who was initially wounded in the leg, had been shielded by her pregnant aunt, who was 18-year-old Jackie Reyes. In her later accounts of the incident, Pena said she felt her aunt's body bucking and jerking as Reyes was shot 48 times, wow, with the Uzi. Besides his mother's body, eight-month-old Carlos Reyes sat upward and wailed, whereupon Roberti shouted at the child to be silent, then took aim and killed the infant with a single pistol shot to the center of the back. Wow. Terribly sad. What a fucking douchebag. Well, it's sad. And usually I don't swear on the show, but that is terrible. Now, Haberti then shouted and shot and killed a 62-year-old trucker named Lawrence Vera Lewis before targeting one of many families seated near the play area of the restaurant who had tried to shield their children beneath the tables with their bodies. 31-year-old Blythe Regan Herrera had shielded her 11-year-old son, Matto Bennett, one booth, uh, beneath one booth, with her husband shielding 12-year-old Keith Thomas beneath a booth located directly opposite. Keith Thomas later recalled Blythe Hera screaming, He's coming down the aisle shooting everyone! As Haberti began to people seated at the restaurant as he walked toward them. Ronald Herrera urged Thomas not to move as he shielded the boy from the gunfire with his own body. Thomas was shot twice in the shoulder and arms, but was not seriously wounded. Ronald Herrera was shot eight times in the stomach, arm, hip, shoulder, and head, but survived. 
His wife, Blissa, and son, Matino, had been killed by numerous gunshots to the head. Close to where the Herrera family and Keith Thomas had hidden, two women named, oh God, these names are, are going to be hard to pronounce, but I'll, I'll just uh, skip their names. Two women had also tried to hide beneath the booth. When Alape Del Rio, 24, had pressed herself beneath a booth and against a wall, she was shielded by her friend, 31-year-old Aristelsely Vivasa Vargas. I guess that's how you pronounce it. Del Rio was hit several times, but was not seriously wounded, whereas Vargas received a single gunshot wound to the back of the head. She died of her wound the next day, the only person fatally wounded who lived long enough to reach a hospital. At another booth, Hiberti killed a 45-year-old banker named Hugo Velasquez with a single gunshot to the chest. Now, the first of many calls to the emergency services was made at 4 o'clock p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Although the dispatcher mistakenly directed responding officers to another McDonald's two miles away from the San Isidro Boulevard restaurant. Within 10 minutes, the police had arrived at the correct restaurant. Immediately, a lockdown was imp imposed on an area spanning six blocks from the site of the shootings. The police also established a command post two blocks from the restaurant, and deployed 175 officers in strategic locations. These officers will be joined by SWAT team members within the hour, who also took positions around the McDonald's restaurant. Now, shortly after the first 911 call had been made, a young woman named Lydia Flores drove into the parking lot. Stopping at the food pickup window, Flores noticed shattered windows, and the sound of gunfire before looking up, and there he was, just shooting. Flores reversed her car until she crashed into a fence. She hid with her two-year-old daughter until the shooting ended. Now, here is where it gets sad, folks, because uh, if you have kids, it's going to be very emotional for you. Three 11-year-old boys then rode their bikes into the west parking lot to purchase soft drinks. Hearing a member of the public yell something unintelligible from across the street, all three stopped their bikes and hesitated before Herbertie shot all three boys with his shotgun and Uzi. Miraculously, Joshua Coleman fell to the ground critically wounded in his stomach, back, leg, and arm, but he was able to survive. He later recalled looking toward his two friends, Omar Hernandez and David Degado, as he lay on the floor, noting that Hernandez had fallen to the ground with multiple gunshot wounds to his back as he tried to escape and had begun vomiting, whereas Degado, who received several gunshot wounds to his head, fell back, and blood started coming out of his head, and his eyes rolled back. 
Coleman survived, but both his two friends, Hernandez and Delgado, died at the scene. Almost immediately after shooting the three boys and trying unsuccessfully to focus his weapons upon Lydia Flores and her daughter, Herberti noticed an elderly couple, Miguel and Ada Victoria, walking towards the entrance. As Miguel reached to open the door for his wife, like a gentleman, Herberti fired a shotgun, killing Ada with a gunshot to the face and wounding Miguel. One uninjured survivor, Oscar Magagran, later reported that he had seen Miguel cradling his wife in his arms as he repeatedly wiped blood from her face. As Victoria shot curses at her birdie, her birdie walked toward the entrance and yelled angrily at the old man before killing him with a single shotgun wound to the head. Very terrible. At approximately 4.10 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, a Mexican couple, Ostasio and Marcelli Felix, drove toward one of the service areas of the restaurant. Noting the shattered gas, Ostasio initially thought renovation work was in progress and that Haberti striding toward the car was a repairman. Haberti fired a shotgun at the couple and their four-month-old daughter, Carlita, striking Marcilla in the head, arms, and chest, blinding her in one eye, and permanently rendering one hand unusable. Her baby was quickly wounded in the head, chest, and abdomen. Astufio himself was wounded in the chest and neck. As Astufio and Marcilla staggered away from a birdie's line of fire, Marcilla passed her shrieking child into the arms of a fleeing woman, and shouted in Spanish, Please, save my baby, before she, Marcelia, slumped against a parked car. The woman to whom Marcelia had handed her child rushed the baby to a nearby hospital as her husband assisted Astafio and Marcelia into a nearby building. All three Felixes survived, thank God. So please forgive me as I'm having a hard time pronouncing these people's names. This is a very, very sad tragedy 31 years later. Now, several survivors later said they saw Herberti calmly walk toward the service counter and adjust the tuning of a portable radio, possibly to search for news reports as to his actions before selecting an unknown music station and continuing to shoot. Shortly thereafter, he vaulted the service counter to search the kitchen area where he discovered six employees who had taken refuge. Upon seeing these employees, he said, oh, there's more, before shouting as he raised the Uzi, you're trying to hide from me as two employees escaped through emergency exits. One of the female employees huddled in this location screamed in Spanish, don't kill me, don't kill me, before he opened fire, killing 21-year-old Pena Lopez, 19-year-old Elsa Barba Fargo, and 18-year-old Margarita Padilla, 
and critically wounding 17-year-old Alberto Leos, who crawled toward a basement utility room where five other employees and a female customer had hidden. Inside of the dining area of the restaurant, Alberti was not cowed by the presence of emergency services around the restaurant. When a fire engine drove within range, he repeatedly pierced the vehicle with bullets, but did not wound any occupants. One wounded teenager, 19-year-old Jose Perez, had begun moaning, whereupon Herberti fatally shot the youth, who had slumped dead at the booth he'd been sitting in, still clutching his baseball bat. Perez died alongside his friend and neighbor, Gloria Gonzalez, and a young woman named Michelle Corncross. At one point, Aurora Pena, who had lain wounded beside her dead aunt, baby cousin, and two friends, noted a lull in the firing. Opening her eyes, Pena saw Herberti standing only feet away from her and staring in her direction. Knowing Pena was still alive, Herberti threw a bag of french fries at her before retrieving his shotgun and shooting the girl in the arm, neck, and jaw. Amazingly, Pena survived her injuries, although she remained hospitalized longer than any survivor. Occasionally, Herberti blurted justifications for murdering his victims as he shot them. As has been the case with Oria Pena, he sometimes threw fast food at his victims before shooting them. As the massacre unfolded, police had established a command post two blocks from the McDonald's restaurant. They initially did not know how many shooters were inside since the birdie was using firearms of several different types and because of the sheer number of shots being fired. Because most of the restaurant windows had been shattered by gunfire, the shades of glass within window frames reflected into the field of vision of the officers deployed around the restaurant. One of about 60 SWAT team officers around the restaurant was a sniper positioned on the roof of a post office next door. He was authorized to kill a birdie should he have a clear shot. At 5.17 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, the SWAT sniper attained an un an un, uh, uh, unobstructed view of a birdie from the neck down. He fired a single round, which severed a birdie's arda and exited through his spine, leaving an exit wound one inch square and sending him spiraling backwards onto the floor directly in front of the service counter. Herberti's chest heavied, then relaxed. The incident had lasted for 78 minutes, during which time Herberti fired 257 rounds of ammunition, killing 20 people and wounding 20 others, one of whom died the following day. 17 of the victims were killed inside the restaurant, with four additional victims killed in the immediate vicinity of the restaurant. Several victims had tried to stand stir bleeding with napkins, often in vain. Of the fit... Of the, uh, of the death, 13 died from gunshot wounds to the head, 
seven from gunshots to the chest, and one victim, eight-month-old Carlos Reyes, from a single nine-millimeter gunshot to the back. So this is a really hard tragedy to talk about because I can't pronounce words right today. Very, very sad show, so I apologize for uh, some of uh, my uh, mispronunciations. Very sad tragedy. Now, the victims, who ages range from eight months to 74 years, were predominantly, though not exclusively, of Mexican or Mexican-American heritage. Although, Haberti stated during the shooting that he had killed thousands of Vietnam, he had never actually served in any military branch. Okay? Now... I want you guys to take this in. Here is a quote from somebody who was at the scene. It was like they had just stopped in time. All these bodies were laying around. Heads were slumped on the table. The old man walking out the door was lying on the floor, donuts beside him. The two kids were dead by their bikes. The infant was dead in the arms of people. There were two burned hamburgers on the grill. Wow, that is a terrible, terrible sight. Imagine having to experience that in person. I would never be the same. That is a quote from Dr. Thomas A. Newman, the San Diego Medical Center medic, describing his initial impressions upon surveying the Zero McDonald's restaurant. Man, I don't know. I've talked a lot I talked about a lot of tragedies. And to me, I personally think this is one of the worst tragedies I have ever talked about on American Tragedy Hour. God, this is a horrific tragedy. I mean, what person goes into a McDonald's and shoots uh, young kids, eight-month-old kids, four-month-old kids, 11-year-old kids. What person shoots elderly people? This is a terrible crime, and uh, this one that I actually contemplated not doing because uh, it was really sad and tragic. I know it's 31 years later, but... Surely time does go on, but we must remember these awful tragedies. You know, I think if you have a mental problem, you should not be given a gun. This is a huge loss of life that was taken for no reason. Now, maybe 31 years later to you and I, but to these families... They don't care how many years go by. They lost a loved one. Their loved one could have been a billionaire. But they lost him. Very, very sad tragedy. All right. So at this time, I would like to take a full minute to pay respects to all of the victims who were shot and injured and shot and killed at the 1984 McDonald's Massacre. So ladies and gentlemen, join me for a moment of silence for all the victims, please.
All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to personally thank you for joining me in a moment of silence. Very, very tragic case. All right, so I think we're going to take a quick intermission. Coming up next here, live on this American Tragedy Hour, I'm going to share my exclusive thoughts on this case. I'll talk about the aftermath of this awful tragedy, and I'm going to tell you my thoughts on how this case could have been prevented. That is coming up next, right after our intermission, live right here on American Tragedy Hour on American Variety Network. Now, during this intermission, we're going to hear two songs. One song from our sponsor, Ryan Serini, called More Than Ever. And the second song is by... Uh, a friend of mine called At Least It's Something. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's hear these two songs followed by our infomercial. And when we come back, we're going to continue talking about this awful tragedy. This intermission is being brought to you by rapper Ryan Serini. Check out his website at www.ryanserini.com. And listen to his wonderful rap songs on iTunes. Let's keep it serene right here on American Variety Network.
inside won't let me settle All I need is my dream and a number two pencil On the road to success there's no rainbows No butterflies, the sun shines till I grow My fears are like leeches, but I'm all in Cause I believe what I have is golden It's now or never, I got ammo galore See behind these eyes while I'm hungry for more Come on! I need this more than ever You'll never understand how much I need this more than ever Can't stop till you show me love I need this more than ever You'll never understand how much I need this more than ever Can't stop till you show me love Can't stop till you show me love Ladies and gentlemen, this next song is called At Least It's Something, and I couldn't remember who sung this song when I announced the intermission, but I remember now. This song is by Christy Hoops. So ladies and gentlemen, here is At Least It's Something by Christy Hoops, a a, a deserving shout-out here on today's episode. comes again That sun's sinking in Turn on the lights Turn it back off Swim in the sheets till the morning comes Drown in the thought of you When the day's done Here it comes again
want to get some much-needed exposure for your business or your very own Facebook page or even your very own podcast, well, look no further than Jackie's help and advice for promoting on Facebook. Jackie will help you advertise your goods and help you spread the word. I, Alice Cardinelli, have personally been great friends with Miss Jackie Wilkes, and she has a very kind heart, and she is a very sweet lady, and she will definitely help you grow like she has helped Alice Cardinelli grow. To advertise and promote your business or anything you want to advertise, please like and check out the page, Jackie's Health and Advice for Promoting on Facebook. Would you like to find out when the next episode of the American Variety Network is? Do you want to find out the news and updates for the American Variety Network? Well, all you have to do is go on your computer and log on to the social media sites. The American Variety Network is now on Facebook and Twitter. That's right, you can find the American Variety Network on Facebook and Twitter. Like our fan page on Facebook called American Variety Network and follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter fan page is at American Network One. Again, our fan page on Facebook is American Variety Network. Hit like and our fan page on Twitter is at American Network One and hit follow. Are you enjoying tonight's episode of the American Variety Network? Great! The American Variety Network really appreciates your listening. We also appreciate listener feedback. Please feel free to email us your thoughts and opinions on tonight's show. Our email address is AmericanVarietyNetwork at Comcast.net. That's American Variety Network at Comcast.net. You may also email us with any questions, comments, or concerns you may have about our show. You can also email us to book a guest appearance on the American Variety Network, or you may contact us to become a sponsor of the American Variety Network. American Variety Network at Comcast.net. Variety Network fans, mark your calendars and get ready to celebrate. Saturday, November 21st, 2015 at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central, 
7 p.m. Mountain and 6 p.m. Pacific The American Variety Network reaches another milestone as we celebrate our 250th episode. Our 250th episode is going to be filled with plenty of awesome surprises and fun. Here to tell you more about the 250th episode is the host himself, Alex Cardinale. On the 250th episode, there will be three special surprise guests, including one fishkeeping guest who will be broadcasting live from the Ohio Cichlid Association 2015 Extravaganza and two other awesome surprise guests. There will be some awesome comedy clips guaranteed to make you laugh and laugh in the past clip and there will also be a lot of fun. I personally invite you, my listeners, to help me celebrate 250 awesome episodes as you've been a huge part of my success. So join me live Saturday, November 21st, 2015 at 9 p.m. Eastern for our 250th episode at blogtalkradio.com forward slash American Network. What are you thankful for this year? You know what Alex Cardinale and the American Variety Network are thankful for. You the listeners. That's right, Alex and all of us here at the American Variety Network are so glad you listen to our shows and tune into them. We love you listeners, remember that. The American Variety Network and Alex Cardinale would like to wish you a happy Thanksgiving and we hope you enjoy some tasty turkey and have a nice meal with your loved ones. Be thankful for what you have and spend time with your loved ones. Happy Thanksgiving all. Calling out all you turkeys and turkey lovers. Come join the American Variety Network on Thanksgiving Day for a special holiday-themed episode. This will be our very first podcast broadcast live on Thanksgiving Day. Live Thursday, November 26, 2015 at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Central, 9 a.m. Mountain, and 8 a.m. Pacific. Alex Cardinale will broadcast the American Variety Network for a special Thanksgiving Day morning special. This will be your last chance to ask any last-minute Thanksgiving cooking questions. I'll discuss how to make the perfect Thanksgiving turkey. I'll discuss NFL football on Thanksgiving, and much more. So come spend your Thanksgiving morning with the American Variety Network on Thanksgiving at 11 a.m. Eastern. Happy Thanksgiving! Breaking news just into the American Variety Network studios. On Monday, November 30, 2015 at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Mountain and 6 p.m. Pacific, Alex is going to share some groundbreaking news and announcements that will shock the American Variety Network and Blog Talk Radio. What is the news? Well you're going to have to tune in live on Monday, November 30th because no one is going to find out. Suspense is the best. Plus there will also be a special surface guest returning to the American Variety Network for the first time in over a year. 
So what is the major news? We will find out on November 30th. You're listening to the American Variety Network. Your only place for variety on Blog Talk Radio. Are you ready for a talk show that is brave enough to talk about anything and everything, even if it's controversial? Are you ready for a talk show where anything goes and we will say anything that we want? Well, then you're listening to the right talk show. You are tuned in to In Your Face Talk Show. With your host, the crazy Italian-American AC. You can expect to hear the unexpected. Laugh at what is said, or you may scream. In your case, sit back and enjoy the show. Let's get in your face with this great talk show. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to American Tragedy Hour, here live on the In Your Face Talk Show. Tonight, we are talking about a tragedy that is 31 years old. We are talking about the McDonald's Massacre of 1984 that took place in San Ysidro, California. Now, before our intermission, we learned about the perpetrator and we learned about the awful tragedy that killed over 20 people and injured about 19 other people. So now I'm going to share my thoughts on this tragedy and I will discuss the aftermath of this tragedy and I'll discuss my thoughts on how this tragedy could have been prevented. But I'd like to remind you if you have any questions or comments about this tragedy, please go ahead and call in at 1-347-989-8142. All right, so now I would like to personally share my thoughts on this tragedy. Now, I feel that obviously James had no regard for human life. I mean, he killed a baby as young as eight months old, and he killed elderly people. Now, I didn't tell you this when I went in depth about the tragedy, but not only did he shoot his victims, he would make sure they were dead by firing more rounds. Very, 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 very sad. No, it's a goddamn shame he killed so many people for something so stupid uh, because someone didn't respond to him in his timely fashion. He decided to ruin the lives of over 40 people and even end half of those people's lives. So I thought this tragedy was sad, it was stupid, and it was done by a sick and evil person. So... This has got to be one of the worst shootings in United States history, in my opinion. I would put it up there with the Sandy Hook shooting. I'd put it up there with the Aurora movie theater shooting. I'd put it up there with the Columbine shooting and some of the other massive shootings the United States of America 
has experienced. So my personal thoughts on this tragedy, one of the worst in United States history, and it's definitely one of the top three shootings in United States history. All right. So now let's talk about the aftermath of the shooting. Because this shooting left a huge impact, not only in San Isidro, not only in San Diego, but all over the United States of America. It has a huge impact. All right? So, due to the number of victims, local funeral homes had to use the San Ysidro Civic Center to hold all of the wakes. The local parish, Mount Carmel Church, resorted to holding back-to-back funeral masses to accommodate all the dead victims. Now, within two days of the mass shooting, the San Isidro Boulevard restaurant had been refurbished and renovated and was, pl- was planning to once again open for business in the hope, as one employee commented, the restaurant would become just another McDonald's. After discussing the matter with community leaders, it was decided that the restaurant would not reopen. The newly renovated restaurant was raised on July 28, 1984. McDonald's later built another restaurant nearby. In the aftermath, McDonald's also announced a commitment to donate $1 million to a survivor's fund. Following the July 28th closure of the restaurant, McDonald's donated the ground to the city with the stipulation that no restaurant be constructed upon the site. For over four years, alternate plans to convert the site into either a memorial park or a shrine to the dead failed to materialize, although Several makeshift memorials were built and torn down. The land upon which the McDonald's restaurant had stood was sold in February of 1988 to Southwestern College for $1,000 or excuse me, $136,000 with the agreement that a 300 square foot area in front of the campus extension that attended they intended to construct upon the site building become a permanent memorial to the 21 victims who died in the massacre. So in front of the school, there stands a memorial of the victims consisting of 21 hexagonal white marble pillars ranging in height from 1 to 6 feet and each bearing the name of each of the victims. This memorial was designed by Roberto Valdez, a former student at Southwestern College, who said of the sculpture, the 21 hexagons represent each person that died, and they are different heights, representing the variety of ages and races of the people involved in the massacre. They are bonded together in the hopes that the community in a tragedy like this will stick together like they did. Every anniversary, the monument is decorated with flowers, and on the Mexican holiday, Day of the Dead, candles and offerings 
are brought on behalf of the victims. The monument is at 460 West St. Cedero Boulevard. As a direct result of the massacre, the city of San Diego increased training for special units and purchased more powerful firearms to better equip police to deal with future such scenarios. According to one officer who confessed to feeling inadequate with regards to the fact he had been equipped with a .38 caliber revolver, the time had come where you had to have a full-time, committed and dedicated, highly trained, well-equipped team able to respond rapidly anywhere in the city. Other cities across America would later seek advice from San Diego upon how to develop tactical teams. Such elite units are now part of most larger police departments across America. Several family members of those killed, along with survivors of the massacre, filed several lawsuits against the McDonald's Corporation and the legal local franchise in the Superior Court of California, County of San Diego. The court eventually consolidated these lawsuits and then dismissed them before trial on a defense motion for summary judgment. The plaintiffs appealed. On July 25, 1987, the California Court of Appeal affirmed summary judgment for the defendants because, number one, McDonald's or any other business has no duty of care to protect patroons from an unforeseeable assault by a murderous madman. And number two, plaintiffs could not prove cautiation because the standard reasonable measures normally used by restaurants to deter criminals such as guards and closed-circuit television cameras could not possibly have deterred the perpetrator because he did not care about his own survival. Now, in the weeks following the massacre, Roberti's wife and daughters stayed with a family friend. Amidst impromptu protests, from some residents, Aetna received the first payout from the survivor's fund. In 1986, she unsuccessfully sued both McDonald's and Bob Cox and Wilcox, his longtime former employer, in an Ohio state court for $5 million. The suit claims that the massacre was triggered by both a poor diet and her husband working around highly poisonous metals, further citing that monsodium, Glutamide, MSG, and McDonald's food combined with the high levels of lead and cadmium discovered in Haberti's body at his autopsy most likely built up from fumes inhaled during his 14 years of welding at Bob Cox and Wilcox had induced illusions and uncontrollable rage. Autopsy results also revealed there were no drugs or alcohol in the system at the time of the killings. Etna Hubbardtree and her daughters relocated to the nearby town of Spring Valley, where her daughters enrolled in school under assumed names. She died of breast cancer in 2003. James Hubbardtree's body was cremated on July 23, 1984. His ashes were interrated in his home state of Ohio. 
Survivor Alberto Leas, after recovering from his injuries, became a police officer serving in special excuse me, serving in several police departments in the South Bay, eventually joining the San Diego Police Department. So as you just heard, this tragedy had a huge impact left on the country and city of San Diego. All right, very, very terrible tragedy. It was so bad that they had to tear down that McDonald's, and they don't want no more restaurants in that area. Terrible. All right? All right. My last topic for this show, this tragedy is so bad that even the host is making so many mistakes on this show. <laughs> but anyways, how this tragedy could have been prevented? Now, what I'm about to say is uh, my personal opinion, so do not get upset about it. But here's how I think the tragedy could have been prevented. If he got the medical help, this could have been avoided. I don't know why they put it off four days. Maybe uh, they thought uh, he'll be fine in a few days. But obviously, if you make the phone call, you are asking for help. No matter what voice or mood you are in, you're calling a medical, mental help place, you're asking for help. So you should be getting help. I don't care uh, if you sound happy as can be. You're asking for help and you should get it within a timely fashion. I think if they called them back within uh, 24 hours, this tragedy could have been avoided. Now, you know, it goes without saying that a lot of these shootings, the shooters have had mental illnesses. There's no reason to hide that because obviously... The Sandy Hook shooting, Adam Lanza had mental issues. The Columbine shooting, those shooters probably had uh, mental illnesses. The Aurora movie theater shooting with James Holmes, he obviously was delusional, and he had mental issues. So history has a pattern of repeating itself because, let's face it, after James Birdie, We've had Columbine High School shootings. We've had the Sandy Hook shootings. We've had the Aurora movie theater shootings. So if we don't, if we do not deal with the mental issues, we're going to have future tragedies like this. And I firmly believe that. So if somebody is calling the mental clinic, we need to care for them. We need to get them the help because they're asking for it. Otherwise. We're going to face future tragedies like this. All right? I also feel this tragedy could have been prevented if his wife, Etna, called the police and reported his threats and did not ignore them. Now, obviously, I don't know his wife. I don't know their whole situation. But if I was that guy's wife and he said he was going to go hunting for humans, the first thing I would do is pick up the phone and call 911 and say my husband is threatening to go shoot humans. I don't know why she sat there and let it happen. Maybe she's a fruitcake just like him. But who knows? So I think she is to blame for her husband's actions as well. Because she let him leave the house with all those guns and let him go to McDonald's and shoot all those innocent people. 
Now, maybe she was afraid that he was going to shoot and kill her and her daughters. We will never know. But she should have at least called the police and reported his actions to them so that they would have found him and prevented this tragedy from happening. Now, I don't know if you're going to agree with me on that or disagree with me on that. I may sound biased, but that is my personal opinion. I feel that way, and I have a right to feel that way. Okay? So, now, I want to talk about uh, how future tragedies like this can be prevented. To me, there are two ways that these future tragedies can be prevented. A, take any mental health calls seriously. If someone is crying out for help, he's got to listen to them and take them seriously. The problem I see is that uh, when someone is very mentally ill and they cry for help, nine times out of ten, the system is going to fail us because either they don't have the money or they simply do not care. So I think in the future we need to take care and we need to make sure anyone that is crying out for help gets the help they need. And B, people need to report any suspicious actions, whether it be threats or if you see them getting guns or any suspicious actions, they need to be reported. All right? All right, I think I am uh, done talking for today's show. I hope all of you guys learned a lot about this god-awful tragedy. Now, like I said, this has to be one of the worst shootings in the United States of America, as bad as the President Kennedy and President Lincoln assassinations, as bad as the Sandy Hook shootings and all the other awful shootings that have taken place in the United States of American history. So, I hope all my young listeners learned about this tragedy that took place 31 years ago. And I hope all of my older listeners enjoyed this show uh, and learned a lot about this terrible tragedy. So, before I end the show, I would like to again, once again, take a moment of silence for all the victims who passed away in this god-awful tragedy. All right, guys, thank you for that moment of silence. I want to thank you for uh, tuning in tonight. Now, before I end the show, I've got a couple of announcements that I would like to make. Obviously, we've got our 250th episode this Saturday at 9 p.m. Eastern. I've got three special surprise guests. I've got a blast in the past. I'm going to play four or five of my past callers who've called into the American Variety Network before. I'm also going to play some comedy clips, and I'm going to give some shout-outs to some well-deserving people, and I'm going to talk about some random things. So this Saturday is going to be a very special show, very fun show, very positive show, right here on the American Variety Network. So I really recommend you check out the 250th episode on Monday, uh, on Saturday, November 21st, 2015, at 9 p.m. Eastern. So, as you guys know, I'm going to be doing a podcast on Thanksgiving morning, Thursday, November 26th at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So, if you have any Thanksgiving questions, please 
personal message me them on Facebook. I'm Alice Cardinelli on Facebook with a picture of a troll. So message me any of your Thanksgiving questions or email them to my email address, American Variety Network at Comcast.net. I'm going to answer any of your Thanksgiving questions on the air. So that's going to be spectacular as well. All right, so that's our announcements for today's show. Please check out my Facebook fan page on Facebook called the American Variety Network Fan Group, where you can interact with all of our listeners and chat about our shows and chat with our group members. Please like my fan page, American Variety Network, on Facebook. Please follow me on Twitter, American Network One, and please follow me on Tumblr, American Network. And follow me right here on Blog Talk Radio to get reminders about all of my upcoming shows. BlogTalkRadio.com forward slash American Network and click follow to follow my show. So I'm actually not sure what my next tragedy show is going to be on. You know what? I'm going to do the Boston Molasses disaster tragedy next. Probably a few weeks from now, we'll talk about the Boston Molasses disaster that happened many, 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 many centuries ago. But we'll talk about that in our next American Tragedy Hour. Until then, stay safe, everybody. I want you all to stay safe. Thank you so much for listening to this show. I hope you enjoyed it. This was an episode of the American Tragedy Hour, live right here on the In Your Face Talk Show on American Variety Network. This is your host, yours truly, Alice Cardinelli. Have a great rest of your night, and thank you so much for tuning in. Good night, everyone, and we'll see you the next time here on American Variety Network. Goodbye, everyone. Is a lesson learned. I revisit these moments. Each chapter I'm closing. Turn life inside out. My heart's forever open. No more running from pain. No more living in shame. Every star exposed. Every flaw explained. I go deeper and darker. Share what I'm a part of. Till I'm one with the grave and burden no longer. My darkest moment, stripped of all my clothing. I got nothing to hide, flaws exposed, spirit broken, that's where my head's at, look in the mirror, I think back, I reflect on my life, take a deep breath and fall fast, back where it all started, conceived by broken hearted, single mom, foolish ways, using drugs, darker days, was young, but saw it all, birthdays, she blew me off, resentment was second nature, her love, a lost cause. Stayed up every night, knowing she ain't coming home. Grandma right there by my side, I ain't spent one night alone. At six years old, I felt like a mistake. Tears on my face, but I wiped those tears away. See, I grew up fast, became a man, knew exactly who not to be. Their mistakes, my blueprint, yeah, my past made me. So these moments, I hold them close to my heart. They're golden, never forget where I came from. I made it out, thank God. These are the moments I consider golden. These are the moments I consider golden. Close to my heart, I hold them close to my heart. Close to my heart, I hold them close to my heart. 
These are the moments I consider goals in. These are the moments I consider goals in. Close to my heart, I hold them close to my heart. Close to my heart, I hold them close to my heart. Born in the house of horror, I vow to be different. Nothing like my father, my root of existence. Mean no disrespect, but I can't deny the facts. My mother suffered for years at that man's hands. Beaten and bruised, she hit rock bottom. Missed 20 years of my life hitting that fucking bottle. <laughs> As for my father, his distance was a blessing. He knew we had his issues, stayed away as protection. But no excuses, that man was abusive. Tell me as a father, left me with this confusion. Like what's a man supposed to be? Yeah, tell me what's a man supposed to be? Cause all I've ever seen is pain and infidelity Dark memories from my past spark insecurities Now family secrets are eating me Fears of my girl leaving me Will I end up alone? Shit, that's all that I've known And those that love me the most Man, we're all poverty stricken Dad, in and out of prison Constantly beating on women Crippled by his addiction This shit is hard to envision Suicide by prescription pills So I'll never forget it these are the moments I consider golden. These are the moments I consider golden. Close to my heart, I hold them close to my heart. Close to my heart, I hold them close to my heart. These are the moments I consider golden. These are the moments I consider golden. Close to my heart, I hold them close to my heart. Close to my heart, I hold them close to my heart. If I fall, I get up. In this life, don't let up. I'ma fight to the end, man. My life, my past, where I've been, where I'm at, wouldn't change, not a damn thing. Been hit, but still standing, got hurt, but took action, I'll fight till the end, man. Never fold, never cave, found strength in my pain, wouldn't change, not a damn thing. These are the moments I consider golden. These are the moments I consider golden. Close to my heart, I hold them close to my heart. Close to my heart, I hold them close to my heart. These are the moments I consider golden. These are the moments I consider golden. Close to my heart, I hold them close to my heart. Close to my heart, I hold them close to my heart. If I fall, I get up. In this life, don't let up. I'ma fight to the end, man. My life, my past, where I've been, where I'm at, wouldn't change, not a damn thing. Been hit, but still standing, got hurt, but took action, I'll fight to the end, man. Never fold, never cave, found strength in my pain, wouldn't change, not a damn thing. <laughs>